Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My name is Atua, I'm a young Native American hunter from the Anishinaabe tribe. I was taught the art of hunting by my father and grandfather, who passed down their knowledge and skills to me. Hunting was more than just a means of providing food for our people, it was a rite of passage, a way of connecting with nature and our ancestors. One cool autumn morning, I set out on a solo hunt, eager to prove my skills to my tribe. I ventured deep into the forest, following the tracks of a deer I had been trailing since daybreak. As I moved silently through the dense underbrush, I came across a worn leather pouch lying on the forest floor. Curious, I picked it up and discovered a document inside. The paper was old and yellowed, with writing in a language I didn't understand. However, I could make out the number 100 and the phrase unknown predator killed. A feeling of unease washed over me, but I kept the document, hoping that someone in my tribe could decipher its contents. As the day wore on, I continued my hunt, but the mysterious document weighed heavily on my mind. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that something was lurking in the shadows of the forest. The sun began to set, casting eerie shadows through the trees, and the air grew colder. I decided it was time to head back to my village. As I made my way through the darkening woods, I heard a rustling of leaves behind me. I turned to see a creature I had only heard of in our tribe's legends, a wendigo. It stood at least nine feet tall, with a skeletal frame covered in tattered, decaying flesh. Its eyes burned like red embers, and antlers jutted from its skull, giving it an even more terrifying appearance. Its long, bony fingers ended in razor-sharp claws, and its breath reeked of death. The wendigo growled at me, a sound that sent chills down my spine. 
I quickly notched an arrow to my bow and aimed at the creature's heart, but before I could release it, the windigo vanished into thin air. My heart raced as I searched the area for any sign of the beast, but it was as if it had never been there. With trembling hands, I lowered my bow and continued my journey home. When I finally reached the safety of my village, I told my people about my encounter with the Windigo. Many were skeptical, but the elders nodded solemnly, knowing that such creatures exist in our legends for a reason. I searched for the document I had found earlier, hoping to show it to the tribe's shaman. But to my dismay, it had vanished, just like the Windigo. I could only wonder if the two were connected somehow, and if the unknown predator mentioned in the document was the very creature I had encountered. Though I never saw the Windigo again, the memory of that encounter remained with me. It was the summer of 1984, and my uncle Frank had invited me to go fishing with him in Sullivan. As an avid fisherman, I eagerly agreed. We had planned to spend the day fishing for trout, taking advantage of the warm weather and peaceful surroundings. We arrived at our favorite fishing spot early in the morning, the sun just beginning to peek over the horizon. The water was still and calm, and we could hear the sounds of birds singing in the trees around us. We set up our fishing gear and cast our lines, hoping to catch some trout for our dinner that night. As the morning wore on, we caught a few decent-sized fish, but nothing extraordinary. The atmosphere was so serene and tranquil that we quickly lost track of time. It wasn't until the sun was high in the sky that we decided to take a break and enjoy the sandwiches we had packed for lunch. While we were eating, we noticed some rustling in the nearby bushes. We initially dismissed it as a deer or some other common forest animal. However, as the rustling grew louder and closer, we realized that this was no ordinary creature. Before we knew it, a massive, 7 to 8 foot tall creature emerged from the underbrush, just 50 feet away from us. It was covered in dark brown fur, and we estimated that it must have weighed between 400 and 500 pounds. Its eyes locked onto ours, and we could feel the weight of its gaze. Uncle Frank and I stared in disbelief, unsure of what we were witnessing. We exchanged nervous glances, too afraid to move or even breathe. The creature seemed to be observing us, just as we were observing it. After what felt like an eternity, the creature slowly turned and disappeared back into the forest, leaving us both shaken and bewildered. We quickly gathered our belongings and headed back to our car, eager to put some distance between us and the mysterious creature we had just encountered. For years, we debated what it could have been. Uncle Frank was convinced that it was a Bigfoot, while I remained skeptical. Despite our differing opinions, one thing was certain, that day changed our perception of the world around us, and we never looked at the wilderness quite the same way again. When I was stationed at NAS Brunswick, I used to live in a rented house out in the countryside, quite a distance from the air station. Several of us who lived in the same area would carpool together to save time and fuel. My carpool buddies included Jim, a fellow serviceman, and Ahanu, a Native American who lived in the area and worked on the base. We all got along well and enjoyed sharing stories during our drives. In the wintertime in Maine, it gets dark around 4.30 p.m., and the roads can be treacherous. One chilly night in January 1980, we were driving back home after our shift, taking our usual route along Highway 196, which runs parallel to the Androscoggin River for around 20 miles. Ahanu was driving that night, with Jim in the passenger seat and me in the back. As we cruised down the dimly lit highway, Ahanu suddenly slammed on the brakes, and we all jolted forward in our seats. Before we could even ask what was going on, our eyes were drawn to a large, hairy creature crossing the road in front of us. It was a shocking sight, a massive beast covered in long, scraggly brown hair, with yellow eyes that seemed to pierce through the darkness. We stared in disbelief, gripping onto our seats. Ahanu, who was usually calm and collected, was visibly shaken. Jim and I exchanged nervous glances, 
confirming that we had all seen the same thing. None of us had been drinking, and we couldn't explain what we had just witnessed. Once the creature had vanished into the woods, we continued our drive, the car now filled with a tense silence. As we neared our homes, we decided to consult a map to pinpoint the exact location where we had encountered the beast. To our amazement, the spot where we all agreed the creature had crossed the road was a heavily wooded area about 300 yards from the river. A few days ago, I met with one of my friends from school at a local cafe. This is when I was doing my shift. He had ordered a latte when I recognized him. He had also recognized me when he looked right at me. We chatted pleasantries while I made coffee. To know that he was now a park ranger, I was interested. Asked him to tell me more about his job after my shift. After my shift had ended, I walked over to his table while he was reading a book. He began telling me about how he first loved his job, but recently had been having some strange supernatural occurrences that creeped him out. He was even considering resigning. I asked him what he saw, and he told me about some things that he had seen that were very concerning. One day near dusk, he was patrolling the park along with three of the rangers. They walked and patrolled the stream that flows in the park so they don't get lost. When it was completely dark, they turned back towards the cabins of the park rangers. As they were walking, they saw a big creature just a few feet away from them. It was almost eight feet tall with thick hands and feet. It nearly matched the description of a Bigfoot, except it had the head of a lion. My friend and his co-workers got so scared, they began running towards the cabin, blindly shooting behind them. The creature was so thick and heavy that it could not run as fast as them, struggling to keep up. Soon, they started to see bright lights shining outside the cavern every night as it came closer. When they reached the cabin door and looked back, there was no creature in sight, especially not the Bigfoot-looking lion. They told the whole currents to the rest of the rangers. They did not believe them at first, but one of the rangers said he believed them since he also saw something unnatural a few days back, only he didn't dare share. He thought it was just his imagination. On asking him what he saw, he told them he saw a small creature, almost one feet tall with thin stick-like arms and legs, totally opposite to what my friend and the other rangers had saw that patrolled around with him. I was shocked to hear these types of creatures existed and advised him to resign and get a job that's away from the supernatural. He said that no job is away from the supernatural, as they could always shapeshift or choose to be invisible if they wish. So even my job of serving coffee, I could have an encounter with anything unnatural. My name is Jack Horvath, and I'm a Maine-based cryptid researcher. I've dedicated my life to unraveling the mysteries surrounding this elusive creature. Over the years, I've conducted countless interviews with witnesses who claim to have encountered the legendary beast. One particular incident from 2006 still haunts me to this day. I received a phone call from an Ellsworth couple who wanted to share their experience with me. Intrigued by their story, I decided to meet with them in person. We arranged to meet at a local cafe, where I was introduced to the couple, Tom and Susan, and their close friend, a Native American man named Kai, who had accompanied them for support. As we sat down to talk, Tom and Susan recounted the chilling events of that fateful October night. They were driving south on Route 1A when they suddenly caught a glimpse of a figure on two legs on the left side of the road. The creature was backlit by a streetlight, which allowed them to observe its tall, thin stature and exceptionally long arms. In a fluid motion, the creature hunched forward, placing its hands on the ground, and bounded across the road on all fours. Tom and Susan were both stunned by the inhuman way the creature moved. Just as it was about to disappear into the woods on the other side of the road, a smaller, identical creature emerged and followed in a similar quadrupedal style. As the couple shared their story, I could see the fear in their eyes. Kai, who had been listening intently, began to speak about his people's legends and beliefs surrounding Bigfoot. He explained that, in his culture, 
These creatures are known as shadow walkers, beings that dwell between the realms of the living and the spirit world. He believed that Tom and Susan's encounter was not just a random sighting but a brush with the unknown. I spent the next few weeks researching this particular sighting, speaking to locals and combing the area for any evidence. Despite my best efforts, I was unable to find anything conclusive. However, the testimony of Tom, Susan, and Kai, combined with my own experiences and the countless other witness accounts I've collected, only strengthened my resolve to continue my search for the truth. As a Bigfoot researcher, I'm often met with skepticism and doubt. But every now and then, I come across stories like this one, stories that challenge our understanding of the world and remind us that there are still mysteries waiting to be uncovered. And as long as there are witnesses like Tom, Susan, and Kai, willing to share their experiences, I'll continue my quest to unravel the enigma that is Bigfoot. My story involves myself and three of my really good friends throughout my whole childhood. We'll have them go by Kevin, Ryan, and Tommy, whom I am good friends with to this day. I could not write this story to you without their help, consent, and experiences as well. The story you are about to read is true and not made up in any way. Regardless whether we had been seeing things or not, the reality is we had experienced something very horrifying the one night at my friend Kevin Cabin. We thought long and hard about actually sharing it or not, afraid of being ridiculed, but we are ready to share with the community, and again you had to be there to experience it. One of my friends had actually suffered a nervous breakdown after the incident and needed counseling in itself, regardless, I would like you to know also I have always been a skeptic on the paranormal and find it very hard to believe in many aspects. But, I love to watch, listen, and read on it simply because I always love to have an open mind in life. An open mind in my opinion is a growing one. Whether it was paranormal or not, someone was clearly there that night. Now finally on with the story. During the midsummer, usually around the middle of July, me and a couple of my good friends, who I had mentioned, all the way through my childhood always made time to go up to my one friend's family cabin way up north in the forest of Minnesota, cabin located on Vermilion Lake. Throughout all of our young years we would always go, for sure accompanied, by my friend's dad, Kevin's dad who owned the cabin, and sometimes a few of our dads as well. Once we were juniors in high school we felt mature and old enough to go to the cabin on our own finally without Kevin's dad or any other adult supervision that may have accompanied us. I would like to mention a little information in regards to my friend's cabin to help you picture the scenario. My friend's cabin is very remote and very little based upon a very large sized island. Other cabins were on the island. But the next one closest to us was a solid carter or half mile away at least, which is my best guess, which you could get to by taking a man-made path around the island. And I want to mention that to get to my friend's cabin, you had to park on a gravel road on the opposite side of the island, as his cabin was on an island, and take his boat across the lake about a half mile to reach the cabin, this lake is huge. My mind always had a tendency to run around when sleeping there at night throughout all my years for it was all one level with only two bedrooms next to one another, a kitchen slash living room connected and a bathroom in the back of the cabin. And where you slept in the cabin was there always at least one window in each room with no curtain to it at all, so it was very easy to see outside to the woods and lake and this is where my mind would run as I always thought someone was peering in, of course nobody ever was. I had been to this cabin a dozen times throughout my lifespan and nothing had ever happened, and the older I got the easier it was to sleep. Now for the event. We usually would stay a week's worth or four slash five nights. On the third night during the trip, when we were there on our own finally, we had set up a campfire and had been drinking beer all night, I don't condone underage drinking by the way we just happened to sneak some being the rebels we are. We went out to his dock to gaze up at the magnificent of the stars and enjoy our buzz when all of a sudden we heard something out at the water that sound like a fish jumping out to catch a bug. We quickly looked out at the lake with curiosity wondering where the splash came, having our poles ready 
Thankfully the moon was out that night which helped lit up the lake otherwise it would be dark as black with there being no city lights for miles upon miles, and we would not have been able to see anything on the lake. My one friend, Ryan, began to point out saying um. What the hell is that? After looking closely and finally spotting what he was pointing at, all I can describe it was it simply looked like a head out in the middle of the lake just floating about, staring at us directly, it was about three quarters worth of a football field length out in the lake from the dock. There is no question that I could see its features. It had long black hair and very palish skin like a face, but couldn't make out the eyes, mouth, nose, or chin, as if it was just a blob of pale skin with long black hair over it. Ill never forgot the feeling that came over me, the hairs on my legs, neck, arm all stood up and I was paralyzed on the inside ready to leave that moment. But we told ourselves it was just a loon as these birds are very popular night drifters on the lake and do their hunting late, and also have black with white colors on their coats and hunt by diving deep into the water, holding their breath up to minutes sometimes. So it was possible that a loon all of a sudden popped up in the water after hunting a bit, or at least we tried to talk ourselves into that scenario. All of us having the creeps and noticing it wasn't moving one bit, just treading water in its same place, went back to our campfire lit it even brighter and headed inside to drink more. I would like to mention that there was a staircase outside my friend's cabin about eight stairs in length down to the bottom where the fire pit was in dock. We soon forgot about the head with the help of the beer until I had to use the bathroom really bad and the one inside was preoccupied. I just went outside to do my business, since we were in the great outdoors. When I had been taking a pee and glancing out at the beautiful moonlit lake, I noticed that the black circle object was still there but about 30 yards closer now still looking as if it was staring right at me, I could easily see the nose on this thing's face. Again it was very pale like it hadn't seen the sun for years. A very very uneasy feeling came over me and I immediately went inside told my other friends to come look quick, keeping my eyes glued to it at the door to the cabin. We came outside to see it still there looking at us as if this head was corked up at us with its chin in the air. Nobody dared go down to the dock anymore and we immediately went back inside ruling out that it probably wasn't a loon because a loon wouldn't have tread the water in the same spot, eventually the current would have drifted it somewhere else in a rocking manner. For a loon to stay in the same spot for almost an hour or two made no sense to any of us. This head-like object was stiff as a board and not moving a single muscle just staring up at us from the deck instead. There was no ripple effect at all in the lake from the object. We said it was just a log and went back in. I could tell everyone else felt uneasy too. A few hours would pass. It was super late into the night at this point and knew we needed sleep. Being my curious self. I looked back outside once more, and the black object had completely vanished. I could help but feel a sense of relief thinking the log must have floated of or just hit shore somewhere. As we slept with the windows open that night, there was no AC in this cabin and we had to open them or we would fry in his cabin with it being the middle of summer. Me and my other buddy, Tommy, slept in the living room while my two other friends slept in the two separate bedrooms with their doors open. Not being able to sleep but keeping my eyes peeled shut, I began to hear someone walking around at the bottom of the stairs to the cabin, around the campfire and at the bottom of the stair. I thought I was about to shit bricks, no question what or whoever I heard down there was of the dock now, pacing back and forth as it made the sound of a boot clicking on the wood. It was as if they weren't sure what to do with themselves it lasted for about 3 minutes. Wanting to whisper to my buddy but frozen in fear I just kept my eyes shut and ears on full alert. The footsteps sounded like they took 2 steps up the deck stairs all of a sudden but then turned around and sounded like they were sprinting out down the man-made path. After it sounded like the steps were long gone and a couple minutes had passed I woke up Tommy asking if he heard the steps, both of us sitting up, I was startled to my friend, Ryan, walking out of his room and saying we need to leave a minute after these steps vanished, he must have heard us talking so felt he could come out as well, but either way he was waking us up regardless. Something was very disturbing about his expression and I asked him why? 
He woke up my other friend Kevin in the other room and said let's go. Get to the boat. It's time to go. Asking him, what? What? Ryan what the hell is wrong with you? He explained to us quickly while grabbing his stuff and I will never forget what he explained as want my other friends. He said when he was turning sides on his bed to get more comfortable. He saw someone peeking in at the top right corner of his window and it quickly shifted out of his view. He said all he saw was one eye, ghostly white skin, and black hair long down the window, again another thing I would like to add. When we look back at what he experienced it chills us to the bone realizing that, since this face was in the top right corner of the window in my friend's room that he was sleeping in, this thing either was damn near 8 feet tall, standing on something like bricks trying to peek in, or was floating. Ryan then continued to say let's go. Very seriously. Absolutely disturbed the F out of my mind and feeling like I was gonna be sick and then telling them what my friend and I heard in the living room we all agreed and packed our stuff and booked it not cleaning the cabin or anything. We always had to clean the cabin before leaving. We locked up and as we headed down the stairs we saw barefoot prints in the dirt heading off into the path and all around the cabin. We picked up our step getting to the boat not knowing what was watching us or around us. Threw our stuff on the boat untied it and sped off. I didn't even think about the head in the water anymore or to look in the water, thank god. My eyes were just glued to the island trying to spot anything moving but I saw nothing. When we had finally gotten our stuffed pack in the car and boat tied up we hopped in the car and took off. We had been driving out about 10 miles and out of the blue Ryan, who said he saw the person outside his windows. All of a sudden broke down in the car sobbing saying what was it guys? Oh f what did I see? We called to tell our parents what had happened on the way back and that Ryan was freaking out and they told us to just get home safely and quickly. It was late about 4 or 5 in the morning but no one slept and it was a very quiet ride home. My friend's dad, who owns the cabin, went up that following weekend and said he experienced nothing while there but did mention bare footprints were still lingering about which he thought odd because someone was walking around his property which bugged him badly. Whatever my one friend saw in the window really hit him hard. After his breakdown he had trouble sleeping multiple nights and ended having to seek some help for a couple weeks and hop on some sleeping medicine. As time went if he ended being fine, but insta comfortable sleeping next to a window without a curtain. I to this day cannot explain what happened and why it seemed to happen to us, and cannot explain what I saw in the lake and what Ryan specifically saw. Nothing has ever happened at that cabin since that night, so we're told from my friend's dad who owns it, which I believe him. I personally have never decided to go back to the cabin. Which really makes me sad because I had great childhood memories there. Tommy and Kevin both have gone back and been fine but Ryan refuses to go back and in with him. A lot of people have cabins on this island so it could have been a prank in the makings that had been busted when Ryan saw the person at the window or the person possibly wanting to do something worst. I will never be able to explain what was floating in the lake, but the fact that this incident along with bare feet and someone looking in at Ryan at night all happened in the same night seems like more than a coincidence. It was the summer of 1973, and I was 12 years old. My friends and I were enjoying the long, hot days by riding our bikes through the winding roads of Durham, exploring the woods and fields that surrounded our quiet town. Little did we know, we were about to encounter something that would become a part of local legend, the Durham Gorilla. One sunny afternoon in late July, our group of five decided to take a ride down Shiloh Road, a quiet country road that cut through a dense forest. We had biked this route before, and we were excited to enjoy the thrill of the downhill ride and the cool shade of the trees. We set off, racing each other and laughing, without a care in the world. As we reached the halfway point of our journey, we rounded a bend and suddenly skidded to a halt. There, standing in the middle of the road, was a creature unlike anything we had ever seen before. It was about the size of a chimpanzee, covered in dark hair, and appeared to be just as surprised to see us as we were to see it. 
For a moment, time seemed to stand still. We stared at the creature, and it stared back at us, its eyes filled with curiosity and perhaps a hint of fear. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. Was this a wild animal that had escaped from a zoo or a private collection? Or was it something else entirely? Before any of us could react, the creature let out a high-pitched shriek and disappeared into the underbrush, leaving us standing there, stunned and speechless. We looked at each other, unsure of what to do next. Should we report our sighting to the authorities? Would anyone even believe us? In the end, we decided to keep our encounter a secret, fearing that we would be ridiculed or accused of making up stories. But as the days and weeks passed, more and more people in Durham began reporting sightings of a similar creature, and the legend of the Durham gorilla was born. The sightings continued throughout August, sparking a frenzy of speculation and debate among the townspeople. Some believed that the creature was a Bigfoot, while others insisted it was simply an escaped chimpanzee. As for me, I never did find out the truth behind the Durham gorilla, but I will never forget that day on Shiloh Road, the day my friends and I came face to face with the unknown. As a kid, I dreamt of being an officer like my father and his dad before him. It kind of ran in the family. So every time I was sitting in the passenger seat of my partner's cop car, it was even more special. It was my very first night, and my partner kept joking on me, ripping on me, and calling me a rookie. But I didn't mind, I was very familiar with the hazing process. It was a boring night. My partner made attempts to break the silence by asking me all sorts of various questions. Other than that, it was silent, not much was happening. We looked around for somebody to apprehend, but to no avail so far. Not much of a first day. We kept on driving, with nothing happening, until I saw a figure standing on the corner. I told my partner, is that something there? I pointed to the figure that I can now see was a taller man, standing with his head to the ground. She looked around for a bit before shaking her head and concluding it was probably just a homeless man. We drove off. I looked out the window as we passed. He turned his head and watched as we drove off. I thought it was weird, but not weird enough to get involved. We kept on driving when we got a call on the radio, 5150 on South and Boulevard. My partner picked up the radio and told them we'd be on the way. I faintly remembered the 5150 from training. It had something to do with the crazies. We took a turn to get there faster, and in less time than I'd imagined, we pulled into the house and property they described over the radio. Loaded our weapons, exiting the car, I looked around again. A very quick scan of the neighborhood. That's when on the corner opposite of the one we had come in, I saw him again. The man from earlier, looking down at the floor. I tapped my partner and motioned towards him. She looked at him, and I can tell she was just as confused as I was. She whispered to me, you get in the house, I'll go talk to him. I nodded, heading into the house. It was huge, and to my knowledge, abandoned. Hello, it's the police. Is anybody there? Just then, from a heap on the floor, I heard somebody speak, you need to leave now. Go. It was coming from a man holding a wound on his side and bleeding badly. Sir, who did this to you? I asked flashing the flashlight in his direction. Get out. Get your partner and get out of here before he gets mad, he said, fear audibly in his voice. Who gets here? I responded, hearing a little bit of fear in my own voice. He opened his mouth, but before he could speak, there was a gunshot that got both of our attention. I ran outside to see my partner now face down. The man she was talking to was nowhere to be found. I rushed out to her side, kneeling down beside her, flipping her over before checking her pulse. I felt nothing. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. To show her respect, I closed her eyes before setting her back down. Unholstering my weapon, I walked back into the house, aiming it. But to my surprise, the now bleeding man was not there. The house was empty, and his spot was a streak of blood heading out the back door, which I saw now had been busted open. I ran through, looking around. There, at the corner of the fence, stood the tall man, looking down. All right, you freak. Hands up. He didn't move. It's like my badge and gun meant nothing to him. He did not fear me. What are you, hard of hearing? I said, put your hands up trying to make my voice sound more macho now. And that's how we're playing it, I said, fed up. One. And two. Before I could get to three, he turned to me, looking at me. What I saw made me drop my weapon. His stare felt cold, but he could not be staring at me. There were two empty spots on his face where his eyes would usually go. I stumbled backwards into the house nearly losing my balance but catching myself in the sink, vomiting a bit. I was still shaken up by everything that's happened, it all happened so quickly. I stood over the sink, waiting for the urge to vomit to make a reappearance, and I'd heard footsteps approaching. It was the man I saw before. He came in, wiping the blood from his shirt, he was not injured at all. I'm sorry, it was truly nothing personal, he claimed with a smug smirk on his face. You see, my boy has this craving for human flesh, and a boy's gotta eat, he continued to walk towards me. What is wrong with his eyes? I said frantically, considering I was more than likely going to die. He was born without them. Doctors can't explain it, but my boy didn't let it get him down. He doesn't need eyes, he goes by his hearing and his smell. He looked out the door, and here he comes now. I knew what was coming. Just thinking about that freakishly tall, eyeless man and my partner made me sick. I vomited all over the man and myself. He took a step back and called me a disgusting fool, explained to me there would be no mercy, and I ran as fast as I could, grabbing my radio and calling for backup immediately. I actually had to drive down the street to try and hide from this person until my backup arrived. He and his son were detained, and as it turns out, he had actually cut out his son's eyes as a part of some sort of sick, satanic, sadistic cult and fed him H-flesh his entire life, treating him like a wild animal. As far as I know, him and his son are still serving time in prison. Nineteen forty-two, My sister, Clara, and I were thrilled to be spending time with our family at Medibumps Lake. Our parents and uncles had taken us on a week-long fishing trip, and we couldn't have been happier. The lake was a beautiful, serene escape from the world, and we eagerly embraced the opportunity to fish for smallmouth bass from the rocky island near our campsite. Each evening, as the sun began to set, Clara and I would head out to the island with our fishing gear, eagerly anticipating the catch we would bring back to our family. 
The island was a magical place, with its rugged rocks and the sound of water lapping against the shore. It was there that we felt closest to nature and the wonders it held. One night, as we sat on the rocks with our lines cast out into the water, we heard a strange howling noise echoing across the lake. It was unlike anything we had ever heard before, a melodious singing from someone with a husky voice, haunting and beautiful. Clara and I exchanged puzzled glances, unsure of what could be making such a sound. The singing continued for several minutes before it abruptly stopped, leaving us even more curious and a little unnerved. We decided to pack up our gear and head back to camp, eager to share our strange experience with our family. The following evening, Clara and I returned to the island, unable to resist the lure of the lake and the chance to catch more fish. As we sat on the rocks, the sun setting behind us, we once again heard the eerie singing. This time, however, we were not alone. From the shadows of the island's trees, two enormous, hair-covered giants emerged, their eyes fixed on us with an unsettling intensity. They stood at least eight feet tall, their bodies covered in thick, matted hair, and their faces a mix of human and animal features. Frozen with fear, we watched as the giants approached us, their hands outstretched towards our bucket of fish. Without a word, they took the fish, their eyes never leaving ours, and then disappeared back into the shadows from which they had come. Clara and I sat in stunned silence, our hearts pounding in our chests. What had we just witnessed? Were these creatures some sort of undiscovered species, or perhaps beings from another world? We couldn't begin to fathom the answers to our questions. We returned to our campsite, our story spilling out in a jumble of excited and frightened words. Our family listened with a mix of skepticism and concern, unsure of what to make of our tale. In the years that followed, the memory of that night remained etched in our minds, a reminder of the mysteries that still lurked in the world. Our encounter with the hair-covered giants would remain one of the most extraordinary experiences of our lives, a moment when the veil between the known and the unknown was briefly lifted, revealing the incredible possibilities that lay beyond. This took place last year, at the beginning of summer. I was with my mom, headed down to my Nana's farm to visit for a weekend. For some context, she lives on a farm way back in the country right at the foot of a mountain in rural South Carolina. It's a very rural, secluded area so the roads are badly maintained and barely wide enough for two cars to pass one another. The houses are also spread out and set far back into the tree line from the road so there's very little ambient light besides the headlights of a car. So my mom and I are driving along, her in the driver's seat and me in passenger. It was around 11 p.m. and we're 15 minutes out from Nana's, deep in the woods with the radio down almost to silent. We come onto this straight stretch of the road in a heavily wooded area, and suddenly this blur of a creature darts out across the road, right at the edge of our headlights. It was moving pretty good, but both me and my mom were able to get a good look at it and both agree on what we saw. It was a fairly large creature, roughly the size of a person slash bigger. Neither of us could make out the head, but we both remember it appearing to have a segmented body, my mom's words, as if it were emaciated and its rib cage was poking out. The reflection of light made it hard for me to tell color, but my mom said she remembered it to be dark and she didn't see fur slash hair. It had long limbs and as it moved across the road, it didn't run the way a dog or horse would, with all four legs. The best word to describe it would be loping using its front limbs to pull itself along, and it was moving considerably fast. We both said something along the lines of what the hell is that? As it crossed in front of us. As we got up to where it had crossed, I turned to look at it just as it reached the other side of the road and out of our headlights and I swear on my life, it stood up and ran. Not like a dog rearing on its hind legs it was definitely bipedal. I immediately yelled that it had stood up, and we both started getting nervous. I honestly would have thought I was going insane had I not had another person in the car with me. My mom has always been a pretty level-headed person and not superstitious, 
but she was very nervous and made me agree to not tell my nana about it to avoid scaring her which made me recognize how serious this was. I should also mention that there had apparently been a series of attacks on livestock slash horses in the area around the time this happened. People were saying they found wire fences ripped through and their animals attacked, I don't think any died, but if I remember correctly there were a few horses that were severely wounded. There have been a few other strange instances in the area, but that was my personal experience. Growing up, I remember my father telling me stories about his days as a logger. He was a strong, hard-working man, and he loved his job. But there was one story he would tell that always left me with a sense of unease, a story about a strange encounter he had in the woods. It was late autumn, and the logging season was coming to a close. My father and his crew were working hard to finish up their last few jobs before the winter snows arrived. One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, my father decided to head back to camp early to prepare dinner for the crew. As he drove along the winding forest road, he suddenly spotted a large, hairy man dart out of the woods and across the road just a few feet in front of his truck. My father slammed on the brakes, his heart racing in his chest as he tried to make sense of what he had just seen. The creature was massive, covered in thick, matted hair and running on two legs like a human, but with a speed and agility that seemed almost unnatural. As quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the woods on the other side of the road. My father sat in his truck, his hands gripping the steering wheel tightly as he tried to process what he had just witnessed. He knew he couldn't keep this to himself, so he drove back to the logging site and told his fellow lumberjacks what had happened. To his surprise, many of them believed his story. They had heard whispers of strange creatures living in the woods, creatures that were not quite human, but not quite animal either. Together, they decided to form a search party and see if they could find any trace of the creature my father had encountered. Armed with flashlights and a sense of determination, they set off into the woods, following the path the creature had taken as it crossed the road. They searched for hours, their flashlights casting eerie shadows among the trees, but they found no sign of the creature. As the night wore on and the temperature dropped, they eventually decided to abandon their search and return to camp. My father couldn't shake the feeling that the creature was still out there, watching them from the shadows, but he knew there was little they could do to find it. The story of my father's encounter with the strange, hairy man spread throughout the logging community, and while some dismissed it as a tall tale or a trick of the light, others believed it to be true. My father never saw the creature again, but the memory of that night stayed with him for the rest of his life. As I grew older, I found myself wondering about the mysterious creature that had crossed my father's path all those years ago. Was it a figment of his imagination? Or could it have been something more? I suppose I'll never know the truth, but the story remains a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk within the depths of the forest. My brother is two years older and we've probably spent 10,000 hours and then some in the woods together. Whether it was building forts BMX tracks to LARPing and hunting. We've traveled across the US exploring caves, canyons, cliff diving, mountain biking, camping, hunting whitetail mule deer wild boar, etc. since 2016 when we get the time off. I feel like adding this is important because there's genuinely nothing I wouldn't do or fear when I have him by my side but this time was different, and we both felt it. We've had our fair share of adventures and stories to tell of all sorts, but this one has felt like a lingering stain on my memory. We were both mid-twenties-ish and it was 2019 and this was probably my fifth time hunting the area and the first I brought my brother along. It's a large forest area of public land that has a few county roads which are basically two tracks that stretch miles throughout the area. We make the trip up in my truck with our tents. Three in total. One for each of us and another to change in and keep our gear in. Without making this long-winded we set up camp a couple miles from the truck, which we drove for quite a few miles through the trails. Basically middle of nowhere, 
nearest main road is probably 8 to 10 miles away. We arrived late in the night, set up camp and quickly fell asleep after a long trip. We then spent the next day scouting tracking then made back to camp for the night. We cooked then ate, had some beers and bullshitted. The night was still early but we had a long day and decided to head off for the night. Everything up until this point was normal. I was suddenly awoke to something smacking my tent and hearing my brother's voice call my name. I knew something was off. I called back to him and he immediately unzipped my tent and made his way inside. I could tell he was disturbed when I went to ask him what's wrong and he immediately grabbed my shoulder and told me to shush. The sun wasn't up yet so I think it was around 4.35ish am. We sat in my tent and what we heard still confuses me to this day. I can only explain it as whale sounds. Different tones of extremely loud noise that I could feel throughout my body. It would come and go but there would only be a few seconds of silence in between the sounds. It would vary from high-pitched squeals and everything in between to very low sounds that had literal ground-shaking reverb. I regrettably didn't think to grab my phone or record anything that was going on because what I was hearing didn't seem real and in the moment I was awestruck. The sound went on until daylight started to break. I believe it was about an hour but I'm not really sure. Neither of us spoke and at the time it felt like I could feel the energy around me almost like my body was covered in white noise, if that makes any sense. It wasn't even minutes after the sound stopped it started to rain and one of the craziest thunderstorms while I was camping happened. The forecast didn't predict or account for any rain the days we were going to be there prior to making the trip. All the stakes for the tent our gear was in completely ripped out of the ground and both of our tents had multiple stakes ripped out as well. Those things were drove into the ground with an axe and would take some insane force to unearth even a single one. My brother dismisses it and won't even talk about it saying it was just machinery being dragged, but at the time we both shared the same feeling of fear and dread. Just seems odd it was still the middle of the night and we were so far removed from any nearby community's industry to hear and experience this occurrence. I, 27 female, live in a small town in North Italy, a valley between our typical old mountains, round shapes, covered in forest, not high, so just behind my home lots of hikes start. I always lived here and I like mountains, plus I'm getting in shape so the terrain is ideal, especially because I'm really familiar with it. So, last summer I was walking my usual route when I thought I could try to have a short hike before sunset, and took a route. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Italian ground, but there aren't the big spaces and long distances typically of US I imagine. Picture the average small town of 2,500 people, starting from bottom in a two-hour hike you're on top of the mountain, and the route I took was about 30 minutes to arrive halfway the mountain, to a big Christian cross and a nice view. I was with my dog, a well-trained Spitz, a nice company with good instincts that I trust. He's a working dog more than a pet, despite his size. So we took the path and start making our way up, nice and relaxed, but active as we didn't have too much light time left. I just figured that if light went low, I'd just turn around and head home, no chances of getting lost. Woods immediately engulf us, pretty dense but it's the norm. Not even 15 minutes of walking and I'm paralyzed with this overwhelming sense of dread. The woods are completely silent. My skin crawls up just thinking about it. Even my dog stops, anxious. I just couldn't understand what was scaring me so much, in the sudden silence. I couldn't move a muscle. I've read the gift of fear and the only time I didn't listen to my guts I lost my spleen in an accident, so wide-eyed and hyper-alert I forced myself to move and noped out of there. It was like my brain was screaming if you stay here you'll die. Walking back, I couldn't stop the urge to continuously look behind me. At some point I was practically running, and I kept thinking that if I sprained an ankle there I would die. The dog seemed relieved when we had turned back, and he kept looking behind too. When we finally made it out of the woods and back on the road, I felt a wave of relief and ran all the way back home for the adrenaline I had. 
To this day I don't know what happened and I haven't gone back. When I was growing up we lived near a town called Welty in Oklahoma. It's really not much of a town, just a tiny store, some churches and a lot of farms. We lived off the main road, close to an area called Macabre which is also nothing but farms and a cemetery and not even considered a town. Very middle of nowhere. My family told a lot of creepy stories about this place, especially having to do with orbs and weird deer. I do have memories of seeing orbs floating over the trees and have no idea what those were, but I never personally saw anything else. My dad has always been a skeptic and never chimed in on these stories. He has Alzheimer's and has a great memory of the past, but horrible short term. The other day he was telling me how much he loved living out there and wished he could still live there, and I brought up the orbs and the creepy stories my family always shared. He agreed that they were always creeped out out there, but then he told me he actually saw something really odd once. He told me one night he was sitting on the porch by himself and a man ran through our yard wearing what looked like a deer head. Not just the antlers but like he had a deer's head. He just ran through and continued on down the pitch black road. My dad didn't know what to think of it. He just told me he thought people out there had too much time on their hands. My mom and brother also saw what they said was a deer walking upright all the way down the road. I know deer do this, but they said it just kept walking like that in the middle of the road. My aunt also said they passed a man who was wearing a deer's head on the road one night. There aren't street lights in this area, so he was just out there in the dark road alone, just standing there. This happened when I was 15, near Algonquin Park. My father and I were driving up to our cottage in the middle of winter. I always was so amazed at the beauty of Algonquin Park in Muskoka, and had grown up enjoying the beauty of it every summer. Our cottage was on a large lake, about a 30-minute drive from the nearest town. There were probably thousands of cottages on the lake. During the summer, the lake and the town's population tripled. It was cottage country, so people would spend all summer enjoying the lake and warm nights around campfires with family and friends. I spent every summer there growing up, and it still brings fond memories of sunshine and laughter and the sound of motorboats on the lake. But the winters were different. The people that didn't live there all year would venture back home to the city life, leaving the area mostly deserted, with cottages boarded up for the winter. There were a few people that still frequently would come up every couple of months for a few days or so, but for the most part the lake was silent during the winters, and the town was just filled with locals. The beautiful pine trees are always covered with snow, making the forest quiet. Our cottage was on a dead-end road. There were about 20 other cottages on the road, with ours being somewhat in the middle. The cottages were quite spaced out, however, with our closest neighbors being too far away to see through the trees. My dad had needed to head up to the cottage to do some painting that my mom had been bugging him to do. It was at the end of February, and it was a long weekend so I tagged along so he wouldn't be alone and we could spend some quality time together. It was about a 5-hour drive from our home, but turned out to be an 8-hour drive due to the heavy snow. It had gotten dark out quite early, and it was around midnight as we drove through Algonquin Park. It was deadly quiet and pitch black except for the headlights of the car. We finally passed through the park, with only about 30 minutes left to get to the cottage. It had stopped snowing, and we were both eager to get there. As we turned onto the familiar road, I remember my dad cursing. It hadn't been plowed yet. This wasn't surprising however, it probably wouldn't be until later the next day that we would even see a snow plow. As we drove down the road, I noticed there was a fresh set of tire tracks. The Smiths must be up for the weekend, my dad had said. All of a sudden as we drove around the bend, following the tire tracks, the headlights of the car shone on a white van that was parked on the side of the road. It was almost hidden by the vast trees that were covered with snow. What the? My dad mumbled. 
As we drove past the white van I remember looking back through the back window and very clearly seeing two figures in the front seat illuminated by our retreating tail lights. I told my dad this, and he shrugged. Maybe they're lost. I nodded but couldn't help to think about how it was a dead-end road, and why they would feel the need to park there. As we pulled into our driveway and we started bringing our stuff in, I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. I couldn't stop thinking about that van and why it was there, with two people just sitting in the dark in the middle of the night. It spooked me so much that I begged my dad to let me sleep upstairs with him, instead of sleeping downstairs in the room my sister and I usually shared. It had big windows with no blinds that looked out into the blackness of the forest, and my 15-year-old self was already scared of the dark, even without seeing the white van. It wasn't a big deal when my sister was there, but not tonight. As my dad got ready for bed, I sat in the living room reading a book. My dad had turned all the lights off, and I was just using a small lamp next to the couch to try and get through one last chapter before bed. It was so quiet I could almost hear my ears ringing. I also started to get the feeling that I was being watched. The living room had large windows, also with no curtains that overlooked the lake, and it was black except for a light or two from cottages across the lake. I shut off the lamp and got up. Now that the cottage was dark, the moon was shining brightly, illuminating the snow. It was beautiful, and I walked towards the window to get a better look. Movement caught my eye and I remember my heart dropping as I saw two figures down by the back porch, below the window, barely hidden by the surrounding trees. I dropped to the floor and crawled towards the bedroom where my dad was sleeping, my heart in my throat. I wasn't sure if they had seen me or not. I woke my dad up, and by the time he got to the window, the two figures were gone. Where I had seen the figures, two sets of footprints in the snow lead back around to the front of the cottage and back down the driveway. I begged my dad not to go outside. He double-checked the locks and turned on the porch lights hopefully to scare anyone off. My dad wasn't as freaked out as I was, but still set the alarm before he headed back to bed. I remember being very freaked out, and I lay there all night next to my dad, terrified I'd look out the window and see someone staring back at me. The next morning my dad went outside and confirmed that there were two sets of footprints leading from the road to in behind our cottage, and then back around to the front of the cottage and back up to the road. There were tire marks that showed the vehicle had turned around and then gone back up to the main road. My dad guessed that they were probably looking to break in and steal stuff as it was the middle of winter, and not too many people were up at the lake. But they knew we were there. They would have seen our tire tracks leading to our cottage, and my dad's car parked out front. They also may have seen the lamp I had turned on to read, and are seeing it go off. My dad didn't have an answer to that and after much back and forth, he called the non-emergency line and reported it. Apparently there had been some break-ins in the area, and some stuff had been stolen from some cottages that were boarded up for the winter. But again, and I still wonder to this day, why would they be interested in stealing from a house that clearly has people inside it? I'm a former long-time airborne ranger, having served for many years in 275 in Washington State. After my service I was a Forest Service firefighter and disaster response contractor. Suffice to say I am a very experienced outdoorsman, professionally trained. In 2009 I was hiking in the Weyerhaeuser Forest Reserve near Offutt Lake in western Washington State. The preserve was adjacent to the home of a buddy's father, and before setting off into the lumber preserve his father had implored for me not to go hiking in there alone, as it was a very dangerous area, a very frightening area, he had lived there for 30 years and refused to let his kids ever step foot into the forest. Being a young, confident ranger, I laughed off his superstition and headed out into the virgin forest. It was an unusually hot and humid day in late spring and I was armed with a Glock 19.9mm pistol and feeling very capable and competent. I had made it about 3 miles into the forest and came to a massive bowl section of perfectly manicured pine forest with no undergrowth, 
just tan spruce pine needle bed as far as the eye could see. It looked like I was stepping down into a forest bowl the size of a modern football stadium. I got about halfway down the bowl and literally every sound in the forest became totally totally deafeningly silent. All in an instant. It was as though I had stepped into a soundproof studio room in one step. No bugs, no wind, no ambient sound, nothing. By this time I had been to combat twice and graduated ranger school and was a pretty salty individual but I am not ashamed to admit I was overcome with a feeling of fear, dread, deep guttural paralyzing fear. I gathered myself together and turned around and practically ran the entire way back to Curtis father's house, got in my truck and left, and never went back. I've spent years thinking about what happened in those woods and to this day have no answers. I was completely sober fully aware of my surroundings, and in good spirits and health at the time of this incident with no mental, physical, or psychological issues. I cannot say what the incident was caused by but I have never been so deeply in fear in my life, even thinking about it now over a decade later makes me feel uneasy, as though whatever was in that forest is still there. All this I swear on my scroll to be true. In the fall of 1998, I went to Somerset, Vermont, to go camping along the Somerset River. A forest road runs up to an airfield with free dispersed campsites. It was first come, first serve, and in the summertime, it would be packed with kids partying and living their best lives. Still, my girlfriend and I planned this trip in the fall because the fall leaves in Vermont are something special to see and we knew the campground would be empty in the middle of the work week during the off-season. I set up our tent, and we walked around the woods, down to the river, and just enjoyed the season's natural beauty. We lay in the tent, talking as the sun went down, and drifted off to sleep. Sometime in the night, I woke up to two voices outside the tent. It sounded like two men whispering to each other, but it wasn't in English. I couldn't distinguish what they were saying but distinctly heard two male voices. Suddenly there was a long low whistle from off in the distance, and I heard one of the men make a click sound and acknowledgement. Everything was quiet after that. I waited until sunrise and went outside the tent and looked around. I didn't see anyone. My heart was pounding in my chest, and I was wide awake. I woke my girlfriend up, and we left. I still wonder where those guys came from and why they used whistling and clicking sounds to communicate. The Somerset campground is far off the beaten path, and I didn't hear or see any signs of a vehicle. Rural Vermont has a lot of strange legends and folklore. Years after this happened, I learned about the Bennington Triangle and the disappearances of people in the 1950s. I left the state and joined the army a few months later. I've only been back to Vermont a few times since that, but I never camped there again. 